Our lives are important, at least to us. And as we see, so we learn. And what are we going to see and learn next, Doctor? But unlikely old that age, my boy, our destiny is in the stars. So let's go and search for it. Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining us on a quick trip through space and time. My name is Caleb. And I'm Mac. And this is a podcast where a Doctor Who veteran and a Doctor Who beginner go through each episode of Doctor Who and give their thoughts on it. And this week we will be watching, what's it called again, Mac? The Reign of Terror. The Reign of Terror. We literally just like a couple of minutes ago got done uh, recording our Sensorite episode, so... And I am banned from looking ahead. So. I understand why you may have forgotten the episode title. <laughs> uh, but yes, The Reign of Terror was directed by uh, Henrik Hirsch, uh, was written by Dennis Spooner, was produced by Verity Lambert, and debuted August 8th, 1964 through September 12th, 1964. So, Caleb, given all that you know about Doctor Who, and given how the last episode ended and this episode's title, what do you predict that the Reign of Terror is going to be about? I'm gonna go, I'm gonna spitball. I'm gonna say it's about the French Revolution. More specifically, the Doctor is gonna be mistaken for a French Revolution leader and instates the Reign of Terror and <laughs> beheads half of France. This is one of those episodes that was um, lost a long time ago. So I've only watched the first episode of this just to make sure that my DVD worked. Um, so I don't know all the details about what goes on in this episode. I will, however, say that I know for a fact that you're at least partially accurate. Pro probably the time, right? Yeah, I'll go ahead and give it away. Yeah, it's set in the French Revolution. <laughs> I know enough about the French Revolution to know what the Reign of Terror is. See, so. I had never heard of the Reign of Terror until I watched that first episode. I was like, oh, is that what this era is called? Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, okay. Low-key, big fan of the French Revolution, personally. <laughs> cool. So so is, uh, so is my wife. She is she's a big fan of, of French Revolution. Her favorite book is uh, The Count of Monte Cristo. Ah, classic. Yeah, it's really good. But yeah, is there anything else we need to do or discuss? Uh, no, not in particular. I'm kind of, if it's about the French Revolution, I'm actually kind of excited about it. Yeah, I'm excited for it too. I'm excited to see the Dr. B. Robespierre. <laughs> and with that, we will see you all in the future. Let's get going. welcome back may have just been a couple seconds for you but for us it was three almost weeks almost month. almost a month something like that um well, we took a break for the holidays uh when we were recording this and then i got really sick and it really sucked <laughs> yeah so i i think i think we have a good enough excuse as to why it took so long this time not that you guys will notice that yeah you guys again it's only been a couple of seconds for you it is uh definitely uh, learning experience of I think two weeks might be the limit 
of how long it is between recording sessions because I'm going over my notes here and I don't remember a whole lot that happened. <laughs> well, I watched it twice, so... Oh, you watched it twice? Like, okay. Yeah, I I took a bath watching the majority of it and then I forgot most of it. And then I was like... So I watched it again, like, double speed. <laughs> okay, okay, cool. I gave myself a quick refresher on it. That, you know what? That I appreciate that. I appreciate that. Just a fun little fact. This is the only season finale to not have any sort of sci-fi elements whatsoever aside from the main cast. William Russell was the one who suggested setting an episode in, um, in the French Revolution, which is funny considering this is the story in which William Russell goes on vacation. <laughs> but uh, do you want to go ahead and take it away? Just on my general thoughts, or do I want to dive into the episode breakdown? Well, yeah, it's, that's, a, that's a thing. <laughs> Mag is totally thrown for a loop. I'm totally thrown, thrown through a loop. Um, just in general, what did you think of the episode? You know, it's, it's fine. It's fine. Structurally speaking, I think it is one of the most sound episodes. Mm. Uh, but it's also not interesting enough to be one of the best. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. Overall, I thought the pacing for the episodes is some of the strongest in the season. It's like it's like reading a book and you're like, wow, the grammar in this book is really, really solid. <laughs> <laughs> Basically. <laughs> but yeah, but then otherwise, like, there's a lot of characters and you don't really get enough time with any of them to care. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. But I do love the period and... uh it, it was a bit more nuanced about the period than some media tends to make this, and I mm. appreciate that at least. Mm. So, yeah. Well, to give a little bit of a spoiler for my final thoughts, um, I ranked this one at the bottom of my list. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I, did not, I did not like uh, Reign of Terror, Same I Am. <laughs> <laughs> so this is the first time, so... Fun fact, trivia for this show, this is the first time Mac and I really diverge on opinions on the, on the episode. Yeah, yeah, this is the first time that you're going to be defending <laughs> defending the episode. <laughs> so that's going to be fun. On that note, do you want to go ahead and dive into the Yeah, I recap? guess we'll just dive into the episode recaps. Yeah. Episode 1, A Land of Fear. The TARDIS arrives in the middle of a rural area, and the Doctor tells Barb and Ian to get the fuck out. After a little spat, Ian convinces the doctor to at least check the area out before he takes off with Susan. Once they get out, the group discovers a young boy who tells them that they are in France. Knowing the location is wrong, the group wonders if the doctor also fucked up the time period. Spoiler, he did. They discover a farmhouse complete with 18th century furniture and some forged papers signed by Robespierre. The group are ambushed by counter-revolutionaries, I'm going to butcher these names, Darginson and Rouvet. Some revolutionary soldiers show up to the house looking for the two, and they give themselves up. The soldiers kill them and capture Ian, Barbara, and Susan, while the doctor is unconscious upstairs. The soldiers set fire to the house, leaving the doctor to his presumed demise. See, I thought um, Rivray and uh, Dargenstern, I thought they were revolutionaries. The soldiers were... No, they were counter-revolutionaries. They were captured by Robespierre's government and were going to be sent to the guillotine. Okay, so uh, this might be one of the reasons why it is I didn't really like this episode. I know fuck all about the French Revolution. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe I was a little confused as to who the good guys were and who the bad guys were. 
So uh, yeah, I I could definitely say that because it doesn't do a very good job explaining what is going on at all. So the Reign of Terror is like not even really the French Revolution. Robespierre was one of the leaders of the French Revolution movement, and he's already killed all the rich people. But now he's trying to maintain control of the French government, and that's when all this talk about traitors and like you know people turning in their neighbors and stuff started to happen. Okay, okay, I'm sure for like young people in England who are who were watching this show when it first came out, this is like common knowledge because European history classes, you know, tend to teach European history. Meanwhile, I'm a dumb fucking American and no other country other than America exists. The world didn't start until 1776. <laughs> yeah, there's US history in the US and then there's world history. <laughs> yeah, so I'm going to just a just a heads up. There are three things you need to know about this uh, podcast episode. One, I'm going to mispronounce the fuck out of every single word that's said. It's okay. I'm also going to do that. Two, I don't know anything about this historical time period, so I'm probably going to be lost a couple times. And three, I will make more than one lames reference because no, that, that's don't kind do that. that's kind of my only frame of reference here. Caleb, help me out. Number two. Number three is banned. Do not do that. (laughs) I do not know a lot about this period. I really like the sentiment of the period, if you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got you. I got you. I do do know a bit. But back to talking about this episode, I kind of love the start of this this episode. The doctor is so undeservingly confident that he has landed at the right place. (laughs) Like, he's just like, yep, here we are. Mid 20th century London. Here you go time to leave literally he's just like gtfo get the fuck out of my ship yeah <laughs> all because ian had like a snide remark at the end of the last story <laughs> yeah yeah he's just so undeservedly confident and i kind of he's always he's always cold like the doctor is always kind of a little bit cold but i i love the moment where like ian and barbara are saying goodbye to susan and then susan like runs off crying to her room and the doctor comes back into the room he's like oh you're still here Mm, interesting (laughs) (laughs) i like that ian and barbara have been traveling with the doctor enough that they kind of know how to manipulate him because they got him to go out and take a look around by basically inflating his ego it's like come on doctor don't you want a chance to prove to shove it in our face that you were right all along he's like hmm yes well i suppose one i told you supposed speech wouldn't hurt <laughs> <laughs> yeah no the first five minutes of this episode genuinely great yeah no it's very good also reaffirms my opinion that the doctor does not give a fuck about anybody has not developed a relationship with barb and susan <laughs> uh he doesn't try and get ian killed in this episode but it's really just because he doesn't see ian so yeah <laughs> we'll get to that he definitely doesn't try and save him yeah i do like how they go out they're in the middle of this uh this grassy field and woodland and stuff and they're like okay and then they run into this child who was just absolutely scared out of his ever-loving mind and when he finally gets away they're like huh i wonder why he was so afraid no well time to look around <laughs> <laughs> i mean at this point they've seen weirder things right that's fair i mean it's like oh there's a scared dirty child at least it's not a trash can <laughs> you know what that's fair they do have uh they do have a bit of a, a skewed 
perspective here. Yeah, their sense of normality is very different. <laughs> uh, then they get to the uh, the house, and I I understand that this house was like a stop along the way of like escaping from France. I understand that, but that didn't stop the giant box of uh, convenient stuff feeling mm-hmm. kind of funny. Of just like, oh look, in here. It's this paper that says what year it is. Oh, look, this paper has a signature noting where we are. Oh, look, here are several outfits that all of us can change into that are our, ex- our exact size. How convenient. How, convenient. How goddamn <laughs> convenient for us. <laughs> I also made the note after Ian changed it into his clothes. Uh, I think as a society, we should bring back puffy shirts. I think their time has come again, and I feel like we need to bring puffy shirts back into fashion. No, I disagree, one hundred percent. Leave it, leave it in the eighteenth century. I'm not, I'm not here to look like a pirate. I one hundred percent am. I want to look more <laughs> like a pirate at any given time. I also wondered in this first episode if we were going to have anyone who was speaking with a French accent, and uh, no, no, we do not. No, no one speaks with a French accent. Even, Everybody's British in this in this France. <laughs> Isn't there some sort of excuse for it? Like the TARDIS has like some sort of effect where they, oh, like the travelers will always understand. Yeah. Who they're talking to. Yeah. They'll, they'll, everything will always sound English to them and whatever they say will sound whatever language they're at. It's still weird that like them, for these, them to Fr- be in a these real French, place. yeah, for these French people speaking english i'm okay with them all having british accents is the thing that i'm hung up on (laughs) fair enough i don't think this i don't think this episode is very good i'll say that much oh yeah (laughs) yeah but but i say that in the context of i don't think a lot of the first episodes to any of the stories are uniquely good (laughs) well i say that except for keys of marinus i think keys of marinus is a pretty solid opening Mm. but eh, eh. This one, we don't meet any of the other characters we're with the whole time. The two people we do meet, like, literally get fucking killed, and that's it. That is true. That is true. Our cast isn't introduced until, like, halfway through the second episode. This episode has got that more meandering pace to everything, whereas I feel like all the other episodes move a lot faster and a lot more happens. But, I mean, this one, there's two settings. There's the TARDIS and the house. Yeah. That's it, really. Yeah, that's fair. But it's funny you say that because I was actually going to say I kind of like this episode the most of this entire story. Fair enough. But if you did, if you had like no context for like what was going on during this time period, though, I can understand why like all the conflict of this episode would be totally lost on you. Kind of, especially because, okay, so we meet the two characters, uh, Darkenstern and Rouvray, in in this in this house, and then we are. The house is basically attacked by some French soldiers, and then Darkenstern and Rouvray are killed by these French soldiers, and then the cast is is taken hostage by these soldiers, and then the ha- and then they did some light arson, you know, for fun, trapping the doctor inside. So you'll forgive me if I thought that the two other guys were like the underdog good guys and not the soldiers well they kind of were the underdog good guys right because again this is this is when the french revolution air quotes french revolution is moving from like the good parts of it to the to the not good parts of it it's actually the end of the not good parts of it okay okay 
because again this is the time period where like so like the monarchy is like destroyed mm-hmm. like the uh, most of the elites have been murdered and now Robespierre the leader of that movement is trying to maintain control of the government so anyone he views as like being a traitor it gets executed and gotcha. then even references is like they executed like 400 people in Paris yeah so these people are trying to escape that and it's you see it with Jules later in the episodes because it's a he still has like the French Revolution mentality, but he disagrees with the way the government is running to maintain whatever it is that has become. So okay, I think I got it. Now I want to go back and rewatch it myself because I'm like, oh, okay, is that what's happening? <laughs> yeah, if you if you read a quick Wikipedia page on the French Revolution or just a Wikipedia page on Robespierre. And then go back and watch this. You're like, oh, okay, that makes way more sense. It does not mention the religion he founded based on himself, but <laughs> well, that's fun. Yeah, because basically my entire my entire context of the French Revolution is Les Mis and also uh, the Count of Monte Cristo. <laughs> so <laughs> okay, better than Les Mis. Uh, my only context for Les Mis is the uh, three hour movie that came oh, out. Oh, the the movie sucked. The movie was awful. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Podcast tangent time. Are you ready for this? Okay. But enough about Les Mis. We're not here to talk about Les Mis. You trapped me. You sure? Why not? Can't we talk about Les Mis just a little bit more? Please? This is a Les Mis podcast now. <laughs> Quick trip through... Eh, I got nothing. I got nothing. Never mind. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, second episode. Go. Oh, God. Um, Unless you had more notes. No, not particularly. I, I didn't think this episode was particularly great, but I feel I, I, I feel like the other episodes make up for it. Okay. Episode 2, Guests of Madame Guillotine. Ian, Barbara, and Susan are taken to Paris, where they are declared traitors to the revolution and sentenced to die. Ian is placed in a separate cell from the girls. The warden, or I'm sorry, the jailer offers to help Barb and Susan escape, but she declines his assistance because he's a fucking creep. Meanwhile, the doctor is awakened by the same boy they found earlier, who rescued him from the fire. While locked up, Barbara and Susan come up with a plan to escape their imprisonment by levering stones out of the wall. In his cell, Ian has apparently become a doctor and is caring for his cellmate. The man is on his deathbed, and he tells Ian of an English spy named James Sterling that he needs to find out to find and help return to England. After setting out for Paris to rescue his friends, the doctor comes across a group of workers and their boss mining. When the doctor reprimands him, the boss accuses him of dodging taxes and forces him into labor. A man arrives in Ian's cell and asks how long his cellmate has been dead. He asks the jailer about Ian and whether or not the two spoke. Barbara and Susan stop digging because Susan can't handle the rats. The doctor stages an escape by lifting a coin out of the boss's pocket and pretending to discover it. He convinces the boss there might be treasure. In his greed, the boss takes over the digging and the doctor knocks him out. Free from his labor, he continues his quest toward Paris. Back in the cells, Ian has been taken off the list by the man known as Lemaitre. I don't know how to say that. Barbara and Susan are taken toward the guillotines. Okay, so I lied. This episode's not very good either. <laughs> if you want a um, a nice rule of thumb when it comes to how to pronounce French names, just cut off the last three letters. Because I'm pretty sure his name is Lamott. Lamott? What? I hate French. Listen. Now I'm going to butcher these names on purpose. <laughs> that's what I do. Lamater. My, my wife hates whenever I butcher the French names. Her favorite book... As I've as I've established is um, is the Count of Monte Cristo. I've told her that if she's ever like trapped in a coma and they need to have some sort of way to like pull her out of it, I'm just going to read Monte Cristo to her and 
purposefully mispronounce, well, not even purposefully, just pronounce them how I think they should be pronounced. And, and I'm just going to be reading the book and she's just going to wake up out of her coma and be like, it's Villafort, not Vilefort, you asshole. <laughs> but Vilefort sounds cooler. But Vile, he's the villain. Why would his name not be Vilefort? <laughs> it sounds like some knockoff like Voldemort. <laughs> but yeah, this episode, this episode's strange. I This is... One of the few times in which they use, like, a text overlay to show where it is that they are. And it's, like, the most unnecessary thing. Because it's a it's a picture of what is very clearly Paris uh, landscape. And then it just has the word Paris over the screen. And I was like, <laughs> no fucking shit. I thought that was the Georgia Eiffel Tower over there. My mistake. <laughs> I don't know. I feel like, I mean, it's probably true that, like, you know naming paris when the eiffel tower is in the background is obvious but i don't know i kind of like the text overlays i feel like i feel like marco polo would have done something very similar had the film remained i kind of like it it gives you a sense of space and scope and something i don't know i liked it fuck you (laughs) that's my reasoning all right i like it fuck you is kind of just how i go through my life to be honest I, so I don't overly like this episode specifically, but I like the arc it establishes in the sense that like all the travelers are separated, basically. Mm-hmm. It gives us some good B stories, and it helps break it up a little bit more. I, I think the reason like episodes like The Sensorize are such slogs is because like there's no breaks. Hmm. Okay. And I think I think now I'm appreciating like B stories in television writing. Yeah, I, I can I can see that because there's definitely like what this group is doing and what this group is doing and what this group is doing at the same time. So, yeah. And when I have goldfish brain, that makes it so much easier to watch like the doctor do something for four minutes and then Susan Mm -hmm. and Barbara do something for like 30 seconds. And then we get back to Ian. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Because even though Ian is on vacation in this episode, Barbara and Susan still do basically nothing the whole arc. Well, we'll talk about that (laughs) because just based solely on the episode, you would think Carol Ann Ford was the one who was on on vacation yeah no joke like when you said that the guy who played ian was on vacation I was like really i feel like he actually did stuff this episode yeah because like william russell filmed his bits while of him in prison separately and then he went on vacation because he's in prison for like two episodes or so which is the same amount of how long the doctor was away from the group in keys of marinus and barbara was away on the ship and sensor rights and how long caroline ford was at her school in the aztecs so he's he's stuck in prison for two episodes, but like they still filmed his prison scenes ahead of time. Yeah, so they filmed all the ones he came on vacation and then came back and did his stuff. Exactly. So. so at the beginning of this episode, the the kid saves the doctor, and this kid is just an endless barrel of exposition. Because <laughs> any question the doctor has, the kid has an answer for, because he he knows everything that's going on in local politics where everything is located, who's in power now, where the doctor's friends are. It's like, yeah, you go over here, you take a left, go about two miles that way, you're going to hit a windmill, you're going to want to turn right there. (laughs) (laughs) It reminds me of a... It wasn't D and D, but we were playing like this, like Star Wars tabletop RPG. We uh-huh. had a group of friends in college, uh-huh. and I was DMing, and none of them put any of their experience and like knowledge or <laughs> space exploration or anything like that. And they kept failing, 
failing checks because the uh, the adventure I was using like required them to basically solve a mystery. <laughs> so, so they, I don't know how they do me into it, but they basically kidnapped someone. Anytime they fail a knowledge check, they just asked him. <laughs> hey, whatever works. <laughs> it's kind of like that. So here's the real question. Why didn't the doctor kidnap the kid? I mean, it, it doesn't seem like the kid has a whole lot going for him. I feel like the doctor is like, hey, I could use a fourth person in my crew. You want to come along? Now, he he does say that his name is Jean-Pierre. Jean-Pierre, yeah. And again, I don't know that much about this period, but I feel like that's significant. I feel like there's like an important person around this period of history that's named Jean-Pierre. Yeah, it would be like... It'd be like having one set in uh, America, and the doctor's talking to this kid. And it's like, what is what is your shame? My name? My name is John F. Kennedy. <laughs> <laughs> That's what it feels like. You're you're absolutely right. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I also feel like ah shit, we need to give this kid a name. What's the Frenchiest name we can think of? Jean Pierre. There we go. <laughs> Jean Pierre. Not even the only person named Jean in this episode. He's not. <laughs> The French have like three names, and they just cycle through them. <laughs> I want it. I want it to be established right now. I have nothing but respect for the French people. French people are totally fine, but the French language, I have nothing but contempt for, and will always, <laughs> always uh, talk about how stupid of a language French is. <laughs> Take that, French listeners. We hate your stupid language. We hate your stupid language. You're fine. I love you. You are you okay? You see, you seem like you're having kind of a hard day. Please have have some juice. I hope you feel better. But your language sucks. You speak French. You can't be doing that well. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. <laughs> oh, okay. So, um, Barbara and Susan, shut the fuck up. Barbara and Susan are uh, trapped in their jail cell. And um, Barbara's just like, here, we'll we'll try and carve our way out of the wall. And Susan is like being just such a, oh, that'll never work. And I'm like, Susan, you're from the future. Tell me you haven't seen Shawshank Redemption. Come on. Please tell me you haven't seen Shawshank Redemption. Even then, she's such a downer, man. She's such a downer. And, um, yeah, because, like, they do it in shifts so that they won't get too exhausted. And Susan works for, like, less than five seconds before she has just, like, a mini freakout. And then there's yeah. a rat in their cell, and that causes an actual freakout. I'm like, ah, oh, Susan, you kill- you're killing me, Smalls. You're killing me. Yeah, that's why when I was reading the summary, I was like, oh, yeah, I forgot Nothing really happens this episode, and Susan just kind of freaks out for a few minutes, and then we fuck right off to deal with the doctor for a little bit. Yeah, the doctor is taking such a leisurely walk towards Paris, as if his friends weren't just taken to uh, be have an appointment with the guillotine. He's just like, you know, no, what a nice day. Oh, wow, this is such a, this is so beautiful. Well, Mac, as, we, as I've established, the doctor does not care about anybody. If anything, he's trying to get these people killed. That's fair. He'll 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 arrive just as they've been executed and be like, oh, darn. Well, I did all I could. Anyway. <laughs> Bye. A couple of fun facts about this. This is the first episode that's done on location filming. So him walking through those, like, forested areas, actually, like, the French countryside, which is kind of neat. Hmm. Also, to help with the extensive walking shots, William Hartnell had a body double, 
and that body double would like shadow him throughout his entire time on set to make sure that he got his mannerisms right. And this annoyed the ever-loving shit out of William Hartnell. <laughs> <laughs> You're telling me William Hartnell, obvious cranky old man, was a cranky old man on set? <laughs> he was absolutely a cranky old man on set. And from what I understand, he's also a bit of a diva. Yeah, I could totally see that. Doctor Who became like, because he had just like a bunch of minor roles in other shows and like, he just had the same role every time and he was never any sort of starring role. And then Doctor Who came out and it was like the most popular show in BBC history for like a while. And he was just like, I'm a fucking star. So, <laughs> Went straight to his head. Yeah. <laughs> I do appreciate how the doctor actually sat down and was talking with the with the foreman, I guess. Of the people who were working. Yeah, the foreman. I called him the boss in the notes because I didn't know what else to call him. Yeah. So. Uh, but the doctor couldn't keep his mouth shut for more than one minute. And that's how he gets roped into work. And then he gets roped yeah. into work. And I'm not sure if you've noticed this. But, like, the music is just, like, so lighthearted and jaunty. It's like a <laughs> whistle-while-we-work kind of, <laughs> kind of <laughs> song. Huge tonal whiplash. It was. Because I feel like it's supposed to be a dramatic moment, but it just seems like one of the quirky sides of the story. Yeah. And then he gets out of work using, and I'm quoting my notes uh, directly here, some Tom Sawyer levels of bullshittery. <laughs> Not inaccurate. What I don't understand is, like, so like he, he steals, like, a gold coin out of his pocket or out of the boss's pocket mm-hmm. and then pretends to find it. It's like, oh, there might be treasure here. And then when the boss isn't looking, just hits him in the head with the pick or the shovel or whatever. Mm-hmm. Why go through all the treasure tomfoolery? Why not just hit him in the head? Didn't he have, like, a gun or something? He had a gun or something, yeah. But even if they were just like, uh, even if it's just anything, like, hey, boss, come look at this. Wham. <laughs> I don't know. I feel I feel like the uh, I feel like the gold coin trick was needlessly convoluted if it was going to resort to violence anyway. Well, it got, his, it got his attention, like, on there. If it was just, hey, boss, come look at this he would still be, like, wary and, like, ready to fire at a moment's notice. With the gold there, he's like, oh, my God, there's gold! I feel like it was more of a genuine distraction having the gold there. I suppose. I don't know. If it was going to end in violence, I would rather just... The doctor gave a rousing revolutionary speech. <laughs> We're like, we just did the French Louvre once, we can do it again! <laughs> the doctor doesn't get, like, violent for a while, but I will reassure you, he does get violent! <laughs> don't worry, that will happen. Still within Classic Who. I think within the first year of us doing this podcast, he will get, like, physically violent. Whoa, okay. Yeah, so, uh, what what was the name? Help me out here. Uh, the name of the guy who was, like, in charge of the jail, the one that we were just making fun of, um, how his name has way too many letters because it's French. Oh, that's Lamont. Lamont. I don't know if he's in charge of the jail. He's, like, a, he's, like, an investigator or something for the state, right? He popped up on screen, and I was, like... Oh, he's handsome. That means he's a good guy. But then he like yeah. was like an asshole for the rest of the series. And I was like, no, maybe not. But then there's a plot twist later. I was like, oh, wait, no, he is a good guy. Oh, never mind. Oh, okay. wait, no, I was right. <laughs> I was right. I should I should have gone with the instinct. He's handsome. That means he's a good guy. Damn it. Mac is good at this. Mac is very good at <laughs> determining who is good or bad, like basically immediately. Kind of. <laughs> I remember a little bit of a tangent. I remember I went to go see Frozen for the first time. That was the example I was going to use. Yeah, with my fr- with my friend uh, with my friend Sarah, we went to go see Frozen because she was a huge fan. She already saw it like three times, and I saw very little of it. I knew nothing about it. 
and then um, uh, what's his fuck came on screen. Hans. Hans, yeah, Hans came on screen, and just like after like a minute of him being on screen, I like leaned over to Sarah. I was like, "When do we find out he's the bad guy?" And she's like, "What the what the fuck? How did you?" <laughs> it's like, yeah, it's, just, it's obvious he's the bad guy. What? What do you want? It's not okay for Frozen. It's not even that hard to deduce. He's not even the guy in the trailers. I mean, he's on all the promotional posters. Like he's with. The, he's yeah. Is he? Yeah, he is. I, at least what at least what I remember seeing the trailers. I remember being like focused on the blonde guy, and then I watched. And then when I watched the movie, I was like, "Who the fuck is this red-haired dude?" I was like, "He must be the bad guy." Well, okay, let's go on another tangent. Uh, I'm still confused. <laughs> this is a Frozen podcast. I'm still confused as to why he was a villain at all. Because you have two handsome guys, one of which is in love with Anna, the other one has an ice fetish. I feel like you could have just had two pairings, and you didn't. Anyway, <laughs> sorry. Tangent over. Let's get back to talking about Doctor Who. <laughs> no, this is a Disney Princess podcast now. <laughs> Caleb, I'm going to level with you. If you want to do a Disney Princess podcast, <laughs> I am absolutely down. <laughs> Join us next week when we're talking about Mulan, the best Disney Princess movie of all time. <laughs> Mulan, is she a princess? Tune in next time. <laughs> The answer is no, because she marries a general. Anyway, back to Doctor Who. Oh, wow. (laughs) We're going to fight about this, man. No, no, no. no. (laughs) We're not. No, we're not talking about this. We're not. I swear, we're not going on this tangent. Back to Doctor Who. (laughs) I'm done with my my notes for episode two. We can move on if we want. I really don't have anything else to say. The only thing that really important happens in this episode is Ian having the conversation with the guy in his cell. And yeah, that's it. The Doctor takes forever to get there. Susan and Barb's plot to escape is pointless because they get taken to the guillotine at the end anyway yeah just a very meandering episode but it's getting good we're getting there <laughs> so i guess i'll just read the third description let's go a change of identity the doctor arrives in paris and barbara and susan are put into a wagon to be taken to the guillotine susan and barb are inadvertently rescued when a pair named jules and john ambush the wagon transporting them Ian manages to steal a key to a cell when the jailer leaves it in the door the doctor barters for a new coat. Susan and Barb are taken to a safe house. Jules and John want to smuggle the two out of France, but they insist on finding the doctor and rescuing Ian first. Ian executes his escape, only to find the guard already knocked out. Lamont watches him escape, intent on learning what Ian truly knows. Back at the safe house, Jules and John learn that the group met the other two counter-revolutionaries, and they suspect someone is informing on their efforts. A man named Leon joins them, and he tells them that a man is asking for them at their local inn. The doctor arrives at the prison, impersonating as a French regional officer, and a heron gues the jailer into telling him about the three new traitors. He discovers that Ian has escaped and the girls have been rescued. Lamont stops the doctor before he leaves and offers for the doctor to meet Robespierre to inform him on the situation. The episode ends with the tailor the doctor met earlier delivering his ring to the jailer as evidence that he is a traitor. I like this episode more. This is when the plot of the arc actually begins. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. All of our players are in their spots. In a modern context, it's not. But I imagine this story was a lot more exciting to watch than maybe other earlier episodes of Doctor Who. Because a lot more people get shot. <laughs> a lot of people do get shot. This is very true. <laughs> and while it's kind of funny to watch now, I'm sure back in 1960 four when this probably aired it was probably like oh wow this is cool cool violence hmm 
violence always tickles my fancy so so they're taken away to the guillotine at the very beginning of this and i know susan is supposed to look like despondent or whatever she just looks bored yeah she looks very tired she looks very tired and just like "Ah, i guess i'll go to the guillotine and they're being rescued and barbara is having to like drag susan out of the cart (laughs) and i have the note of holy shit Susan, stop being less useful than a ragdoll. At least ragdolls don't complain. <laughs> I mean, we find out later that she's a little bit, that she's, like, starting to get sick. Yeah. Which she, she's she showing symptoms of that in the last episode, Is too. she getting sick because she had to dig into the wall for less than five seconds? Yeah, it doesn't say. The doctor later says, like, it just looks like you haven't been taking care of yourself. Which is not a fucking diagnosis at all. <laughs> that diagnosis is uh, right up there with... The nurse at our school who would just prescribe Tums anytime someone came to a, <laughs> came to her. And just ship them off, yeah. Uh, my left arm is gone, and I'm losing a lot of blood. Eh, just take these Tums, you'll be fine. This uh, this moment in history, actually, is the, the long, complicated arc that women have with doctors. <laughs> giving them shitty diagnoses. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. I have really bad problem, health problems. It's like, you're probably just fat. Have you thought about losing weight? It's probably because you're a woman. Have you ever tried not being a woman? That might help. Yeah, I can't tell you how many times Kylie's coming from the doctor, and she says, like, the first thing they asked me is if I was menstruating. Yay! Yeah. <laughs> Let's keep talking about this fun, silly sci-fi show. Show. Yay! Yeah. <laughs> no. This is a show about menstruating now. Apparently this show's about a lot of things, because... Yeah, so they rescue uh barbara and they rescue barbara and susan and take them to the uh their safe house and are basically like invite them into the uh inner circle which is fine or whatever uh my question is what about the third guy who was in the cart with them (laughs) he just it's like we've successfully rescued these two women fuck that other guy Let's go. He got shot in the crossfire or something. I don't know. I wasn't looking. I, I didn't notice. He just kind of like disappeared. <laughs> are we not Are we not uh, doing a beginning of Skyrim kind of thing? <laughs> the other question too was like, why? Why did they do it? Because I don't even feel like they explained that. There's like rescuing revolutionaries. Because so fuck they, cops. They just... That's why. <laughs> okay. I fuck accept the that police. Answer, but... <laughs> but are they just like ambushing it? every police wagon that comes out of the prison if so why aren't they more guarded i have that exact note later because later i think later in this episode they keep mentioning how prisoners keep getting snatched away from the trip to the guillotine so you'd think that at some point they would change the route they go on to the guillotine (laughs) to prevent them being so easily ambushed like well we've been ambushed the last six or seven times at this very block but i'm sure it'll be fine this time oh no the fucking guy driving the car he's like looking at the map he's like all right so i gotta turn here i gotta go down this street and then uh hey question jailer why is this called ambush alley don't worry about it (laughs) don't worry about it oh that's where all the ambushes happen but that probably won't happen this time like batman's parents going like hey let's take this shortcut down crime alley i'm sure nothing bad will happen (laughs) down crime alley but no, it's fine. We have an exciting shootout, probably. I don't know. One guy makes a really hilarious death face. And I don't know. The girls get saved. And they get taken back and 
Susan is like notably or noticeably in pain in the chair and no one says anything about eh, it. Just Susan. She has these freakouts a lot. You'll get used to it. Just ignore her. She'll be fine. I do like how when the doctor goes to uh like trade in his coat for the officer uniform, he doesn't need any sort of documentation whatsoever to say that he's an officer. He's just like, hey, uh, can I have this officer? Can I have this uniform? Oh, that's for officers only. Uh, I'm an officer. Oh, shit. Sorry. Didn't realize. Here you go. Now, now, Gwen, uh, they do follow through on this really weird scene because I was wondering the same thing, too. Because, like, oh, I'm an officer. No, I don't have any money, though. Will you take my jacket? <laughs> take my jacket. You've never seen a jacket like this. Uh, and also this ring, too, I guess. Oh, can I also have some paper? And then could you, like, uh, hypothetically, if I was going to have papers, what do you think they'd look like? Cool, 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 cool. Thanks for that. Uh, can you turn around for just, like, like five minutes? Just five minutes is fine. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow, look, my papers were in my pocket the whole time. <laughs> my God, look at that. Don't worry, I threw away that paper you gave me. I don't need it anymore. <laughs> also, don't touch the paper. The ink's still wet. Anyway, I'll be going now. <laughs> Uh, Grant, they do. They do follow up on this, like, bizarre, obviously fake scene. <laughs> they do. I'm just curious as to why he would have given him that in the first place without any sort of documentation. I do like uh, Leon comes back to the safe house, and he's like, Dargenstern and Rouvray were taken away. And then I was just like, OBJECTION! <laughs> yeah exactly Leon walks in and you're like oh there's the traitor I wonder ah, hey, look. oh I wonder who the traitor is the guy who has the wrong information gosh no, who knows that's not that's not what made me know what I knew was that disgusting French ponytail fucking ponytails as soon as he turned his head I was like that fucking Gaston looking ponytail <laughs> <laughs> Gaston looking ass <laughs> and then I don't remember like why everybody leaves the room but man it is becoming like a recurring thing in Barbara's life where she's just kind of left alone with the obviously evil man and nothing good ever comes from it because she's just like alone in the room with Leon and there's just like it's very tense because she's clearly like a little bit skeeved out and we as the audience know that he's the bad guy. So it's just like... Can we not leave Barbara alone with the person that will probably kill her? <laughs> Just once, please? <laughs> I want to see in later stories when, like, maybe they have to find a bad guy. And Ian just suggests, let's just leave Barbara alone in a room. He'll come to us. <laughs> <laughs> that would be good. I love the doctor's hat. <laughs> that huge plumed that, feather. That huge fucking plume feather on his hat for the officer uniform. I want it. That and puffy shirts. We should bring them both back. And I think society would just be better for it. Uh, I think what I love more than the plume hat is the doctor's obscenely fucking arrogant attitude in it. <laughs> because he's being treated with the respect that he knows he deserves. <laughs> And he's like, finally, just a chance to yell at people and not be reprimanded for it. Fucking finally. I do like how he starts to, you know, he's making up these stories. He's posing as an officer and everything. And then they start treating him like it and be like, oh, well, you should come meet Robespierre. I'm sure he'll be happy to see you. And he's just like, oh, um, no, no, that uh, that won't be necessary. Oh, no, please. 
I insist. He was like, hmm, mm-hmm. yes, of course, it would be <clears throat> my honor. And I just, it was just a refreshing change of pace seeing the doctor in over his head. <laughs> yeah. And he spends a lot of the next couple episodes doing that. Like, he spends basically the rest of the arc trying to get away from Lamar. <laughs> yeah, no, he spends the rest of this story just rolling persuasion rolls over and over and over <laughs> again. Sometimes succeeding, sometimes not. Which really, which really, so like, uh, this is going into the next episode, so I won't say too much on it, but like, he really pushes that limit in the next episode. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he does. Uh, so I do we have any more notes on this episode? No, I'm done. All right, well, I guess I'll, I guess I'll get into it. Okay. Episode four, The Tyrants of France. The show is an animated adventure now. The doctor meets with Robespierre, and the doctor acts like a smug asshole the whole time. In the safe house, Barbara is still sick and Leon is still watching over them. Leon offers to call a doctor that he trusts. Jules and John sneak through the window carrying a body between them. The man has a bag over his head. They pull the bag off to reveal it's Ian. The doctor insists that he must leave, but Lamont insists he must stay to meet with Robespierre again and asks the jailer to arrange commendations for him. Lamont meets with the tailor when the, while the jailer stops the doctor from escaping. Lamont pays the tailor for the ring, but tells him not to tell anyone of the information. Susan comes back to join Jules and John and finds the man they captured is Ian. Ian asks them about Webster, his cellmate, and he inquires if they know James Sterling. They do not know a man named Sterling, but they assume he may be working under an alias and could be one of their points of contact. John leaves to find the doctor while Jules agrees to help him find Sterling. Susan's condition is worsening. In the morning, the doctor tries to leave early and escape, but Lamont stops him. Back at the safe house, the doctor Leon called is about to arrive to help Susan. The doctor insists that leeching is the only way to help her, and then he locks her and Barbara in to stop them from escaping. He informs the jailer of their location, and he believes they are the escaped prisoners. The soldiers arrive and and capture them. Jules agrees to retrieve them when the girls take too long to return. Susan is taken back to the cells, and Barbara is taken for questioning. Luckily, the person interrogating her is the doctor. Ian meets Leon in secret, only for the man to betray him. So let's let's get the first thing out of the way. Yeah, let's address the elephant in the room, shall we? The animation. Yeah, so episodes one through three and six are still intact. Uh, but this is the first episode, this is the first story that's, that is supplemented with animation to show, to ha- still have a visual element. It's not good. The animation is not good. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's like someone wanted to make an art house film and they're like, hey, you know who would be really good at an art house film? The guy who did the Archer animations. Because <laughs> it, it looks like Archer. <laughs> it looks like the Archer team tries to keep the exact same animation style, but they also want to make everything look realistic. Mm-hmm. So they like rotoscoped some people moving around and it looks... Weird. It looks very uncanny valley. Yeah, it's really weird. Not the worst animation I've ever seen. I'll, I'll give it that. But it is weird. On top of that, the editing is so it's so quick. It's so quick and choppy. There's not a single shot that lasts for more than like a second. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of there's a lot of zoom-ins on people's eyes and faces. I, I'm assuming to like try and cover up the fact that they're not very well animated. I noticed a lot of fucking shots that were just reused over and over again. Mm-hmm. And then also, like if they were like transitioning to like another room, it was confusing because I was like, "Where are we?" Mm-hmm. 
it's not even clear and conveying a lot of what's going on. Yeah. I will admit part of that makes it a little bit distracting for me in terms of like trying to follow everything. Cause I was already having difficulty following every, everything that was going on. The animation did not help. And the fact that a lot of the characters in this animation style kind of made them look the same. Like I didn't realize Ian was Ian at first. <laughs> yeah, I didn't either. <laughs> I, I didn't realize it until like Barb came and be like, Ian. I was like, oh, okay, so that's Ian. Okay, thanks for that. Thanks, Barb. Appreciate it. Yeah, it's something else. I honestly didn't have a whole lot to say about this episode. Most most of my comments that I have came from near the end. Yeah, and this is a this is like again kind of how I feel overall about this like whole arc is like it's fine. Like it it's good enough where I can't really like nitpick a ton of stuff that happens. <laughs> but I don't feel like anything is like exceptionally good. Yeah. Um, there are just a few things I've no like the doctor in the very beginning just being a huge dick to the fucking tyrant of France, the guy who like <laughs> executes everyone. All, uh, and like straight up, he starts a conversation with, oh, "I just had to execute four hundred people the other day." And the doctor's like, "Wow, you're kind of a dick." Also, something I totally forgot to mention in the first episode, they find out that they are in the middle of the reign of terror, and Susan's like, mm, "That's going to be a problem," and Ian and Barbara. Are, like why it's like because the reign of terror is my grandfather's favorite era of human history and you know what that fucking checks out do you want to know why because in episode fucking one of an unearthly child susan is handed a book about the french revolution she opens it up and says that's that's not right because they've already been here there we go. They've already been to the French Revolution, so she knows what really happens in it. That's how she was able to tell that the book was wrong. It's actually, like, canon from the first episode that Whoa. the Doctor is such a fan of this time period. I thought that was kind of neat. Anyway, let's keep going. <laughs> uh, I will say, even though she says that, like, I don't feel like the Doctor maybe uses that to his best authority. Other than, like, instinctively knowing to, like, dress up as an officer and just be a dick. I feel like it kind of helps him act like he belongs there. He manages to have an entire conversation with Robespierre and not get his head chopped off, which is a fucking accomplishment. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Even though it seemed like he was trying at some points. <laughs> uh, but no, like everyone out of the doctor's mouth is like, Doctor, apparently you love this period of history. You know who you're talking to. Chill the fuck out for five minutes. Yeah. Uh, one thing I do like about this is, so I'm not going to stand Robespierre, but I do appreciate that this moment and like a few other moments through this kind of try to contextualize a lot of what happened during this period. Because everyone remembers, you know, the reign of terror, really bad. Robespierre does absolutely like lose his mind and go real psycho. <laughs> but I feel like this scene, you kind of see him like struggling because like he's a he doesn't want to do this and he doesn't want his new state free of democracy to be this reign of terror. And he doesn't want to execute 400 people a day. He just feels like he's losing control of the situation. I don't know. I, I kind of like that. No, I get that because there's a lot of media that is a lot less nuanced about how the reign of terror happened. Yeah, no, I get that. I understand that. Does not mention his state religion, and that's something a lot of people don't do because it's really weird, but oh my god, it would have been amazing. <laughs> I'd say, like, probably one of my big complaints about the episode is, like, for being an episode about history, like, uh, and I feel like Marco Polo kind of did this too, like, we don't really spend a lot of time getting historical context. 
Because, like, we only really know Robespierre, like, as the bad guy. I would even accept a very expositional monologue from Robespierre talking about what he accomplished. And talking about mm. everything he had to go through to get from how France was to what it was now. And yeah. him trying to justify his own actions, I guess. Yeah. Because uh, Robespierre was, you know, like a hero of the movement. He wasn't in charge of the government for no reason. Yeah. Yeah, sure. Again, not going to stand Robespierre, but um, I like the French Revolution. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, back to the show itself. This is a podcast about the French Revolution. I have a couple of questions. So if Leon isn't James Sterling, I feel like it's kind of established that he isn't. Why would Ian meet up with him by himself in the dead of night? Well, they don't know. They, they don't know who James Sterling is. Did they? I could have sworn they established that he wasn't James Sterling. I don't remember anything saying that they that Leon wasn't James Sterling. Jules just says that he, they don't know anyone named James Sterling, but they think he might have an alias, but they don't know who that is because no one has tried to ask him that. So Okay, okay, that checks out. Follow-up question. Jean and Jules seem to suspect Leon of something mm-hmm. just because he had inconsistent information and he was acting a little... He was acting a bit suspect. So if they suspect Leon of something, why would they send Ian to go meet him? Because there would be no drama, Mac. I know, but like, <laughs> I like my drama to make sense. <laughs> the only explanation I can think of is, eh, this guy's expendable. If Leon kills him, eh, what do we lose? Yeah, I mean, it, it could be as simple as that. <laughs> if Ian dies, uh, it reveals Leon for the traitor he is. Awesome, cool. Yeah, because I mean, like, Barbara cares about them, but or he, him, but Jules doesn't know who Ian is. They fucking yeah. call up this guy over the head and put a bag over his head. <laughs> it's true. I know that you said you really like how the characters are like being separated and they have various B plots. I'll be perfectly honest. This this episode in particular kind of starts showing my least favorite part of this story, which is that it kind of just feels like one big game of musical chairs. It does feel like that sense, especially with like the whole plot of trying to get Susan out of prison. Yeah. It, it felt like the Marco Polo thing again, where it's like, oh, here's a new scheme. It failed. Here's a new scheme. It failed. Here's a new scheme. It failed. It just feels like all the principal characters are like being rearranged in terms of like where they're, where they're at. Like Ian is over here and so is Barbara. And then Susan gets taken into prison and then uh, the doctor goes to the prison and then Barbara gets to the prison and then uh, the doctor is able to release barbara from the prison and it's just like it just feels like all that's happening is the pieces are being moved around without any sort of really i don't want to say no rhyme or reason because there's a reason why they're being moved around it's just like get on with it <laughs> yeah i didn't see that again i i like it in the context of like it makes the show a bit more digestible hmm. just because like before in the show like scenes would be 15 minutes long before there would like really be like a kind of like a break in the moment mm-hmm and again, I have goldfish brain, or maybe I'm just attuned to modern American television. So I'm sitting here like, oh my God. <laughs> like, it's like, I feel like I've been watching this episode for an hour. I'm like, oh no, it's been eight minutes. <laughs> <laughs> just, just in the sense of like pace, I like it. But I agree that like the actual writing, like it's very much like, because nothing's really getting developed other than like people's situations are marginally different. But if they take this format and they figure out how to write a plot that actually moves with it, we got a show, baby. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Which I feel like they do. 
I feel like that that is that kind of becomes a recurring thing with the Doctor series. So hopefully, hopefully you'll start to get get more into it. No, I mean, like I said, I'm I'm getting into the show now. Um, I'm just trying to give it my two cents, and like, I don't know. I I'm personally enjoying the episodes more where the heroes aren't all together and they're not mm-hmm. all talking to like some dude in a room for 15 minutes. Yeah, that's fair. And again, I think that's why this episode is a bit more digestible. Like, even though, even though when you take a step back uh, and you look at it, you're like, hey, they just kind of like moved around a lot for a little bit. Uh, in the moment, I'm getting like dopamine hits every time that cut happens. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's good. That's good. But that was, that's pretty much all I had to say about that episode. Yeah. Let's move on to the next one, I guess. Cool. A bargain of necessity. The soldiers capture Ian and hold him for interrogation. Barbara and the doctor try to plot their escape as Lamont listens in. The doctor leaves. He plans on helping Susan while Barbara slips out and escapes. The doctor dupes the jailer into letting Barbara walk out. Back at the safe house, Jules realizes that everyone is gone. Leon interrogates Ian about what he knows on James Sterling, as well as how he got into France. He tells Leon loosely about the TARDIS, mocking him. Just as Leon is about to have Ian killed, Jules arrives to rescue him. Jules kills Leon in the conflict. The doctor finds Susan, and he attempts to break her out. He tries to talk the jailer into letting her out, but the man will not budge. In a meeting with Robespierre, he asks Lamotte to follow Paul Barris, who he expects to betray him. Barbara and Susan and Jules meet up again at the safe house. She is shocked to learn that Leon was a traitor, and the two were forced to kill him. Barbara's upset they resort to violence, saying the revolution isn't all bad. Back at the jail, the doctor tricks the jailer into opening Susan's cell before knocking him out. Lamont appears just in time, though, and stops the two from escaping. Lamont isolates him for questioning and reveals the ring and clothes from the tailor. Lamont says he could have the doctor arrested at any time, but he wants to work with the doctor instead. He wants the doctor to lead him to Jules' safe house in exchange for Susan's safety. This is the episode that reminds me that Barbara was a history teacher, which leads me to the question, why wasn't Barb more present in this episode to talk about history? She really should have been, because that was kind of the whole point of her character. I feel like they needed, anytime they were doing a historical episode, they really should have had Barbara be more of the focus. Mm-hmm. I mean, they, they had her being front and fucking center in the Aztecs, so why didn't they have her be front and center more in this one? Yeah, because the, this is jumping to basically the very end of the episode. But that moment at the end when she's kind of like scolding them for killing Leon. And because like they don't really give a shit. It's the best moment in the whole art for me, personally. So Why's that? Just because uh, it's one of the only few moments that really tries to contextualize the revolution. Because, you know, Ian and Jules are like, hey, he betrayed us. It was him or us. Sorry. And she just says she wish she, they don't have to resort to violence because the state and what Robespierre has built and everything that has happened in the past 40 years was not all bad. Mm-hmm. You could argue that it wasn't even half bad. <laughs> I don't know. She, Even though she doesn't really provide any evidence, her trying to say that like there's way more context to the reign of terror than the reign of terror and how bad everything was. I don't know. I appreciate that. Yeah. Uh, and I wish there was more of it. I wish she spent the whole arc doing this. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I know I said let's not harp on the animation too much once we got done with it. But, man, action scenes do not work. 
no. in this animation style at fucking all. Because no. that shootout in the church was not not good. I, I think I think when they shoot Leon, I even realized it was a church. It's just blank all around them. I'm but like, I'm pretty sure they were in a church. I think just based on it seemed like it. I thought it was like underground in like a catacomb or something. That's how it felt to me. Who the fuck knows? <laughs> But yeah, the the shootout does not work because I feel like when Jewel shoots Leon, there's like two frames between Leon getting shot and hitting the ground. Yeah, <laughs> like it's like a Family Guy falls. Bam. Yeah. Bam. <laughs> so yeah, uh, the animation not good. Spoiler. I'm sure it would have been equally as hilarious in live action. Probably because the show does not stage fighting at well at all. Probably. I did really, really like the moment where Ian is being uh, interrogated by Leon and Leon is demanding the truth. And Ian's like, you want the truth? I flew here in a box. <laughs> you sure you want the truth? I can give you the truth if you really want it. Like, I came here in a time machine. It's just a little blue box. You said you wanted the truth. <laughs> and at that point, Leon's just like, fuck it, just kill him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like, if I'm going to die, I'm going to die being a cheeky bastard. <laughs> Yeah, I like Ian the most when he's being a sarcastic asshole, so... Yeah, yeah, that's peak Ian. One of the things I noticed in this episode is that it feels like half the dialogue, because everybody's just being moved around so much, it feels like half the dialogue is just characters recapping what's happened to them to the other characters who weren't there for it. Yeah. So it felt like a lot to me. <laughs> Which happens a lot in this show anyway, but is especially bad in this episode. It's especially bad in this story just with how much everyone gets shifted around mm -hmm. i am surprised by how many times they've been locked up into different prison cells and no one has tried the sick man routine yet that's true we didn't we didn't even try the one that actually we know works from the daleks the yeah. <laughs> someone's really sick in here they even have an actual sick person to do the sick man routine with and they don't do it <laughs> I've, t I've talked about this before i'm pretty sure on this very podcast it's one of my biggest pet peeves when this that the sick man routine always works this is the one time which they actually have a sick man so it's weird that they didn't try it <laughs> <laughs> it only would have been better if someone suggested it and they'd be like that would never work <laughs> <laughs> it's worked at least twice already doctor sorry i'm kind of dropping the ball i feel like because i don't really have a whole lot else to say mac i will fight you i know i'm fucking awful no, again, to emphasize, I feel like we had the same issue on Marco Polo, too. Uh, again, I, I will say it again. I feel like structurally, the episode is better. But there's also, like, really not that much to say about it. Like, because, like, there's nothing, like, glaringly horrible about it. But there's nothing, like, overwhelmingly good either. They have the structure. They just haven't built anything on top of it yet. Mm-hmm. And so, like, that's why I watch I'm like, while wow, there's, like, very specific moments, I'm like, yeah, I like that moment. And I like that moment. Overall, I'm like, yeah, it was fine. Yeah, absolutely. Because uh, I'm even trying to think of, like, what happens in this episode beyond Barbara talking at the end where I'm like, wow, that's that's a good moment. I think overall, yeah. I think the next episode is probably my favorite of the arc because I feel like it kind of, like, ties together the story well enough and then also ties together a lot of, like, what I think the themes of the show should be. <laughs> yeah next episode's next episode's solid i mean like i said i don't really have many more notes if you if you want to go into the next episode i'm i'm down i think we can like i said the last uh, I, I watched it twice and the second time i watched it um i watched it at one and a half speed and frankly 
It was great. <laughs> that might be like the way to watch Doctor Who, if I'm going to be honest. The pace was awesome. There you go. I, I watched all six episodes in like hour and a half and not not quite that bad. This is probably closer to two hours, but I don't know. Like everyone talked fast enough. Like we moved along. I was like, so I'm like, yeah, this is fine. Maybe that's just what you should do moving forward. <laughs> I've already checked. BritBox doesn't have a time adjustment. So. Ah, damn it. But based on this episode, if you can, watch Doctor Who at, at least time and a half. So just like a peek behind the curtain here, the way we've been watching it is if I have the DVD, I watch it on DVD. Uh, but if I don't, we both watch it on BritBox. Um, but this is one of the episodes in which it's available on DVD, but it's not available on BritBox because BritBox only has the episodes that are complete. They do not have anything that's missing, and this one was missing two of the episodes. So what I did was I captured the footage using my PS2 and my, my Elgato, and so I saved each episode and then sent it to Caleb, and he watched it as, as an MP4. I wish I had more DVDs so that I could do that for all of them so that you could watch them at 1.5 speed for all of them. Because then we go to every episode, I'm like, yeah, this is great. I love this show. Yeah, the, the pacing was great. I loved it. <laughs> <laughs> i don't have anything else to say about this episode i guess uh the most exciting thing is animated and we can't even tell what really happens so yeah on to episode six on to episode six let me read it out i realize i wrote this down i don't know how to pronounce the prison name is it consurgery concierge i'm gonna be perfectly honest with you caleb multiple times i kept calling it concierge prison <laughs> i knew that was incorrect and it was pissing Brittany off but it was the only way I knew how to pronounce it. Well, Brittany, this pronunciation is for you. <laughs> Prisoners of Consurgery. <laughs> Lamont reveals that he is James Sterling, and he needs the group to help him. He needs them to assist in following Paul Barras, who has a secret meeting at an inn called The Sinking Ship. Barbara and Ian pose as workers at the inn as the group wait for Bar- Barras's arrival. When he shows up, they show him to his room. A masked man arrives, but Ian catches a glimpse of him and realizes that it is Napoleon Bonaparte. Brass intends on arresting and executing Robespierre, and he plans on implanting Napoleon in a position of power. They relay the information back to Sterling, and he feels like he must stop the transition of power. Barbara and the doctor head to the prison to retrieve Susan, while Ian goes with Jules and Sterling to prevent the arrest. However, they don't arrive in time. The doctor has the jailer arrested by accusing him of conspiring with Lamont. When he begs for forgiveness, the doctor gives it to him in exchange for the keys to release Susan. Robespierre is brought to the prison just as the two are escaping. Sterling sees them off, and the group make their way back to the TARDIS. It's a brief summary, but quite a bit does happen in this episode. It moves along pretty well. So I was, so I felt very vindicated when Lamont was like, "I'm, I'm James Sterling." I was like, "He called it. Yes, <laughs> he is a good guy. Put it on the scoreboard." <laughs> Ding. But uh, they they go to the inn, and didn't they say, like, they had the innkeeper, like, tied up in the basement or something yeah. like that? <laughs> <laughs> they have the innkeeper, like, tied up in the basement so that Ian can pose as the innkeeper and Barbara can pose as a barmaid so that they can check in on the meeting. And I was watching this scene. I was like, ah, oh, man, Ian so wanted to be an improv actor before he became a teacher. He absolutely is <laughs> loving this. <laughs> Anytime Ian can pretend he's someone else, he signs up for it. 
And then later in the scene, like he, uh, Napoleon takes off the mask and it's like, it's Napoleon Bonaparte. And it does but like hold for applause. <laughs> it's Napoleon Bonaparte. <sighs> I can tell because of the silly hat. <laughs> I can tell because he has his hand inside his jacket pocket. He's a lot taller than I imagined. <laughs> it was just very funny. It felt very much like a, like I can't even really think of like a good example, but just like a, a children's a children's educational show where they like go back in time and it's like, oh my gosh, it's Napoleon Bonaparte. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like Peabody and Sherman or something. <laughs> that kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. Okay, again, I know, I know, I know it's because I don't know anything about this era and everything but like the scene with the meeting of bonaparte it just kept going they were talking (laughs) about the intricacies of the political landscape and like what was going to happen when bonaparte was put into power and all that and it had absolutely nothing to do with anything that was happening like with the doctor and companions and everything and i was just like i could not give less of a shit about anything happening in this meeting if i actively tried you know what you should have done mac hmm. watch that time and a half damn it you're right i should have because <laughs> i watched it, i was like wow this is really interesting we get some intrigue we're learning a little bit about politics i'm like ooh, maybe anytime i have an episode that i can watch on the dvd maybe i should just watch it time and a half i don't know I'd give it a try because you might be like, wow, this show's really good. It's got a, it's really got a snappy pace to it. I like it. <laughs> it just keeps going. We don't spend too long doing anything. Did they really shoot Robespierre in the mouth? Like, is that historically accurate? I don't know. I don't know. I, I don't know about that. So it's like it happened off screen. And then like when he was dragged onto screen, he was like holding his mouth. Holding so his could... mouth. Yeah. I don't know if that's true or not. Like I said, I'm not the mo like i love the sentiment of the french revolution i i know some random stuff about it but i don't know all the intricacies particularly around rose pierre i don't know that would be worth a google i'm not gonna do it right now but yeah listeners absolutely. google tweet at us did rose pierre get shot in the mouth give us your other fun french revolution trivia i i was about to say i like how but i'm not sure if i actually like it i have mixed feelings about this where dr uh swindles the jailer and gets gets the keys and he lets susan out and i just have the note written of all right the plot's over susan you can come out now (laughs) yeah basically just given how little she was used you would think she was the one who was on vacation because she was just in prison half the time that might be looking up some like trivia or listening to some DVD commentary because I wouldn't be surprised if like Caroline Forbes was like sick or something. Maybe. <laughs> like like maybe the first two days like she was actually legitimately sick and maybe. They're, like nah <laughs> and like they just rode around it. <laughs> maybe I think I'm pretty sure there's a commentary track. Hold on. Uh, let's see audio commentary with Caroline Ford. There you go. Uh, okay yeah. All right so go back and watch it. Time and a half speed. DVD commentary. Yeah so I have mixed feelings about that considering that. She wasn't utilized at all, and I kind of feel like she just got cheated. But on the other hand, I don't really like Susan, and she probably would have been freaking out this whole time. So maybe it's for the best that she was just kind of shoved in the corner for this episode. (laughs) Maybe that's why I like this episode so much. I was like, wow, there's no shrill screaming. Maybe. Who knows? (laughs) 
can you tell that this was the season finale yeah because they get back to the tardis and then there's just like this very almost like wistful i I don't know how to say it like this this wistful because the the line actually have the quote here because i was planning on using it at the beginning of this episode where he says like our lives are important at least to us and as we see so we learn our destiny is in the SARS, so let's go and search for it. And that just reeked of, we don't know if we're going to get renewed, so <laughs> we better land on a poignant line just in case we don't. Or at least what we think is a poignant line. Yeah. <laughs> well, since we're kind of talking about the theme now, I think, so correct me if I'm wrong, but the way I interpreted some of the ways they talked about this episode in time, it doesn't matter what the time travelers do, right? History is going to play out how it played out. Like, they cannot impact it at all. Because that, that's kind of what it sounded like. Kind of. Because it kind of sounded like time, like when they're going back into it, is an inevitability. And even if they tried to do something, like, because, like, Ian has a line of, like, I would like to leave some notes for Napoleon. Um, Susan was like, oh, he would just write them off as, like, you're some, some crazy person. Yeah, yeah, that's right. They, they they did have that conversation. Yeah, and uh, because and then when Ian goes with Jules and Sterling, they try to talk talk Sterling out of it, being like, "You can't change it. Like it's gonna happen." And I don't know. It, it it may seem like there wasn't really a difference that the time travelers could make. Time was going to ha- the decisions that had been made were going to get made no matter what. Yeah, and I th- I think it's a matter of time is going to happen and if you try to force it into your way, it's just going to get fucked up beyond repair because that's kind of what the whole lesson to be learned in the Aztecs was. It was like Barbara tried to change things. It did not work. And they even have a moment, the Doctor and Barbara have that moment where Barbara talks about how something is tragic. And the doctor says, well, we can't do anything about it. And she's like, yes, I know. I learned that. I learned that lesson very well with the Aztecs. Thank you. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it, it's it's more like when they're in the past, it's like they're active observers, if that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. That's kind of what I meant by like, it's inevitable because like Susan or Barbara was like basically in a position of power. Um, mm-hmm. But despite her best efforts, like she couldn't influence the Aztecs enough to make any significant change. Yep. Because she tried to stop the execution, and the guy just killed himself. Did it anyway. So, yeah. that, that, that's kind of what I mean. It was like, it seems like it's inevitable. It seems like even if they do change it marginally, the result is still the same. Yeah, basically. Um, and I, don't know, I thought that was interesting, and it kind of solves any paradoxes that might be created by a time travel show. Mm-hmm. I feel like there will be plenty of them down the line anyway. But There's also... Going down the line, there's also... Do you remember that episode of Futurama where they go back to, like, the 60s and they meet Fry's grandpa? Yes. And the and the professor Mr. has that line. I'm my own grandfather. <laughs> yeah. Then uh, the professor has that line of, whatever you do, don't change anything in the past unless it turns out you were supposed to do it the whole time, in which case, for the love of God, don't not do it. <laughs> That's basically the rules that Dr. <laughs> goes by. Because, like, there are a couple episodes later down the line that are like, if we don't do anything, the world will be fucked. So we have to intervene here. 
Interesting. This alien wasn't at the signing of the Declaration of Independence. What's it doing here? <laughs> kind of thing. So yeah, so for the love of God, don't not do it. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, but no, I thought I thought that was interesting that I felt like the show was trying to solve the paradox of time travel just by making history inevitable in that yeah. context. Yeah. So that's it. Yeah, that's it. Do you have anything to say about this? Because you said this was your favorite uh, uh, standalone episode of this arc. Yeah, well, just because for the same reasons, it moves along the best. I feel like we actually get a resolution, whereas like in like the sense rights, the main bad guy was dealt with off screen. Yeah, it's true. Technically, uh, Robespierre got shot in the fucking mouth off screen, but then he gets dragged on screen where you get to see him struggling with his mouth being shot. So like... You get to see some resolution there. <laughs> yeah, you know, and like, I don't know, I, f- I feel like we're actually seeing the end of something and not like leaving partway through or like, wow, I feel like maybe the episode, eh, I don't feel like this episode would have benefited from an additional episode. Like I have like some of the others. I feel like it would benefit from a bit more rewriting and a bit more cohesion in the plot. Yeah. But I feel like, I feel like this episode moves along at a good pace. We get the resolution. We get some philosophy about time or some shit like that, and then we fuck off to the next place. Yeah. So, um, final thoughts about uh, Reign of Terror overall. Again, it's one of those things, and I feel like I am uh, sound like a broken record at this point. Uh, there are things I like about it, namely in the structure and like the B plots and like that, and I feel like it's more enjoyable to watch. But there isn't enough about it that I really like for it to dramatically impact anything. Keys and Mares is still the best overall mm-hmm. arc I think I've watched. But if they take the kind of formula they're working with here and do it in other episodes, and, oh my god, get away from the sixth episode arc, we might have a really good TV show on our hands. Yeah. Charitably, the next episode is only three episodes long. So Ooh. Yeah. Yeah, my final thoughts are... You you did it. You did a very good job of uh, convincing me that it wasn't as bad as I thought it was. But that being said, I'm still putting it at the bottom of my list because I found it rather boring, and it felt just like a game of musical chairs. A lot of the times, it just felt like the travelers didn't really have a whole lot of impact on anything anything significant that was happening, just because it was modern enough history that like everything is pretty clearly defined in the history books it really couldn't do anything yeah <laughs> but uh convince me it's not as bad as i thought it was i think this was also closer to like a genre i enjoy like i kind of like the political thrillery kind of vibe it has mm-hmm. i don't know how much you're into stuff like that i mean you like game of thrones it's kind of game of thronesy <laughs> it varies I definitely like the the political intrigue kind of thing. And it definitely had the political intrigue in this. It's just that the central characters couldn't influence it at all. It had no impact Mm. on any of the events that were happening. So, yeah. So, again, the episode is playing with a lot of elements that I really like. It just didn't execute them the best way possible. But I hope they do in the future. So. So, I don't know where this would fall in my rankings. Probably somewhere in the middle. All right, thanks for listening, everyone. That's the end of the episode. Uh, if you'd like to talk to us about the show, you can find us on Twitter at QuickTripDW. And if you'd like to just talk to us in general, you can find Mac at MacTheMeh. 
and Caleb at CLB underscore Clark. You can find this podcast on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and all the other major podcast networks. And you can also find it on Mac's YouTube channel, which is called Mac the Mac. Yes, and join us next time on our quick trip through space and time, in which we watch the very first environmentalist episode of Doctor Who in The Planet of Giants. Les Mis is one of the first dates me and Kylie, my wife, went on. She really wanted to see Les Mis, and I said, I'm, I'm going to tell you right now, movie, Ky- or Kylie, that movie's going to suck. We should go see Django Unchained. And then she said, no, I want to see Les Mis. I was like, all right, here's a compromise. We'll go see both. We'll spend six hours in the movie today, and you can tell me at the end which one of those movies was better. So we go in, we're 15 minutes in the Les Mis, and Kylie leans over to me, and she says, are they going to sing the whole time? <laughs> yes. Yes, they anyway, are. Yeah. Yes, they are, Kylie. It's an opera. It's an opera. And then you should have seen her. She le- leans back in her seat and just sinks down. <laughs> and spoiler, she loved Django Unchained because I was right. I mean, Django Unchained is a, it's a solid film. I think they did an adaptation of Les Mis where Liam Neeson played <laughs> Valjean. And that was like the one non-musical version that they have adapted into film. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'd see a non-musical version with Liam Neeson. <laughs> it's probably not very good, but I would watch it. <laughs> yeah, from just the tiny little clips I've seen, it's not very, not very good. Um, 